to another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you, too, can live your dream lifestyle. By the way, I say you, too, because you're learning from someone who has done what they teach. I've created multiple six-figure businesses, and I, I now get to live my dream lifestyle aboard my yacht with my wife, Stephanie, and our rescue dog, Blue, and as I'm recording this, we're about to head out of the Northeast and go down to Florida. So buckle up for some truth and straight talk about what it takes to create a dream business and live life on your own terms. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. Today's episode is brought to you by the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. You can learn more details at dreambizcoaching.com. That's dreambizcoaching.com. Let's get right to my guest this week. I'm really excited my special guest is Monica Shaw. Let me briefly introduce Monica, and we'll dive right in and have a good old conversation. Monica Shaw is a seven-figure business coach who helps entrepreneurs build businesses that support their ideal lifestyles. After receiving her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and working in marketing for L'Oreal Paris, Monica left corporate to start her first company and then started her second business, Revenue Breakthrough. Today, she takes her clients step-by-step through building, growing, and expanding their businesses. She combines her business acumen with her intuition and healing abilities to help her clients get unstuck, eliminate self-sabotage, and more through fear. She's also the author of Getting Rich, You're Doing It Backwards, and Pause, 52 Questions That Lead to More Money and Time. Monica, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. I'm excited to be on the show. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on. So, um... So L'Oreal Paris, is that the name of a company, or did you actually work in Paris for L'Oreal? <laughs> I'm not up on makeup and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, it's the name of the company. So it's, it's L'Oreal Paris, and then it's based in Paris, but I actually worked in New York City at their New York City office. Oh, okay, cool. Is that where you live now? Yeah, I live in, in Brooklyn, just outside of the city, in Williamsburg. Very nice. So are you a first-generation entrepreneur in your family, or did you get the entrepreneurial gene from your parents or maybe your grandparents? Um, No, I'm not first-generation. I am far from it. My father is an entrepreneur, and and literally I just got married in July, and there were 66 people at our wedding, and our entire side of the family was there. And out of – there's – out of 66 people at the wedding – only two of the people were not, were not entrepreneurs. So I oh, my God, that's crazy. Line. I come from <laughs> a long line of entrepreneurs. I, I didn't realize it when I was younger, but this is definitely in the blood. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so awesome. Now, when you graduated with your MBA and then went to work for L'Oreal, did uh, did your family kind of look over their shoulder and go, well, I guess that one flew the, flew the nest. He's going to go the corporate route or what? Uh, well, I think my dad, I, it was kind of a little bit of both. My dad, um, has a company that he, uh, that kept him busy, ran it for a long, long time. And I think that he, he was excited. He was really proud to have me at a stable, safe, secure job. Um, and probably, 
probably, I think, would have preferred that route. I think it was the opposite. When, when I went in to start my own business, he was a little bit concerned, um, mainly because he bought his company and I started mine. And he was like, are you sure you want to start from scratch? It's much harder. <laughs> He's like, are you sure yeah, you don't exactly. want to just stay um, the corporate route and climb the ladder and, you know, and, and do this because it's easier. And I think that's true for most entrepreneurs is once you really get into it, you start to get like, you, you kind of have pipe dreams of having a job <laughs> on some days, especially the harder ones. Well, a lot of entrepreneurs, if they ever added up how many hours they actually work and what they make, they should go back to work for a job. But, um, it's true. So it's true. I know part of your coaching, Monica, is you help people uh, with the relationship with money, which is something I also do. I think people have horrible relationships, so whether they've been raised to believe money's bad or, or it's scary or I'll never have enough or what, but tell me a little bit about how you help your clients in that area. Well, one of the things I've noticed is that we, when, we, when we grow up, uh, let's say your entire childhood, if you're like most of the people that I know of, you, if you ask your dad, like, how much money do you make? Or you ask your mom, like, how much money does daddy make? Or you ask your dad how much money your mom makes you get in trouble at the dinner table. And if you ask too many questions about things like why we can't buy this or why we're spending money on that. So we grow up with this entire mentality of don't ever mention money. Don't ever talk about money. I mean, even as an adult, if you celebrate somebody's raise, you are, are you don't, you wouldn't ask how much extra money they made. You might just, you know, buy them a drink. And I, and then you get into entrepreneurship and you are told every single day, you know, look at your numbers. How much money are you making? Track your numbers. Plan your numbers. What is your conversion rate? And you're constantly looking at numbers and it feels like one big bait and switch. It's like we didn't learn to have a relationship with money or talk about money in a way that it felt safe and secure. And then as an entrepreneur, you're expected to just learn it out of, out of the air. And that is why the main, I mean, money remains one of our biggest taboos. It's a, it's a taboo just like sex is, but money is one that's really never broken until you have to break it as an entrepreneur. And even then it becomes really uncomfortable. And a lot of entrepreneurs just really don't have, a good relationship with money because they never really learned how to. And it was never That's talked tr- about. It's so true. You know, I call, uh, there's something I teach called top of the stairs thinking, which you kind of alluded to there, which is, oh, we can't afford that. You know, how are we going to get shoes for, for, for school and, and all that stuff? And it leads people to think there's such a limited supply of money. I think that's one of the great – I mean, fear is is such a huge thing for entrepreneurs, but I really think the relationship with money is probably the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome if you're going to be a high earner. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that most people grow up believing that money is an effect, that, you know, that it's a mystery, that it comes to you sometimes and it doesn't come to you other times and that there's a limited amount of it. And most importantly, that you don't have any control over it. That you know, some days you do well in your business, and that's like a great month. This month I had a great month, but you're not really in charge of it. And and I think that the real main shift that has to be made is to really understand that that you are the cause, and money is the effect. 
you are causing money to come into your life. You have the ability to cause money to come into your life. And that you have the ability to also not cause it to come into your life if you're avoiding it and understanding that we're, we're in charge when it comes to the money piece in our business um, and, and really knowing that and being able to change our behavior to reflect that. Now, what do you mean about money type? What is your money type? So uh, the relationship, so starting, I think the first place to start is to look at what is your relationship with money now? Like how do you relate to, to it? How do you how do you engage with it? How do you connect with it? And, and, and then to look at, based on your relationship now, what do you want to shift or grow based on that? So I created four different money types to really talk through that. Uh, should we go ahead and, and go through the types? Oh, I'd love it. Yes, please do. Uh, the, the first type is, the, is an avoider, and you know that you're an avoider if you don't know exactly how much money is in the bank, you don't know how – like you're not really paying attention to your bills all the time. A lot of times they're late. When you get the mail, it kind of piles up. And you sort of put your hand in the sand when it comes to looking at your numbers. And, and it, this is no – there's no relevance here on uh, how well you're doing. It's just the fact that if you were to be asked, how much revenue did you make last month? What were your expenses last month? Maybe other numbers questions like what were your conversion rates? Um, how much do you owe? You probably wouldn't know those numbers at the top of your head. And as an avoider, because you're avoiding, you have a tendency to overwork and overworry. You because you don't know exactly how much money you need to be how much work you need to be doing to generate a certain amount of money. So there's just this constant need to work and worry, even when you're quote unquote resting. Uh, the thing as an avoider is that there's this underlying belief, or can be an underlying belief, that if you look at your money, it'll all go away. Like there's that that, or that if you look at your money, it's just too much emotion, too much shame or disappointment around it. And because of that, you know, the main issues with avoiders is just um, not understanding your power, your your ability to generate money, and you're unable to always hit your goals because you're not really making them, not in a consistent fashion, and you're not paying attention to what works in terms of, oh, if I do this activity, then I get this amount of money, so if I do five of these activities, I can get five times the money. You're not seeing that relationship, so everything always feels like you're just kind of on a treadmill going, going, going. I really like that. I mean, I I can resonate with the avoider when so many people, uh, <clears throat> myself included, several years ago were to the point where I just, all I wanted to do was produce. I wanted to be the rainmaker, and I didn't want to look at everything. And, and without looking, like you said, even when my business was growing, it's like not knowing made me keep more, 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 more. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute, we're doing pretty well. So that's a, that's a good one. What's number two? Number two is uh, a saver. Now, if you're a saver, it means that everything you, – you love saving money, like looking at things like your bank account or mint.com or, you know, some sort of other financial app. It's like a sport for you. <laughs> you, um, you get a lot of satisfaction from putting your money away, and there's nothing wrong with that. Oftentimes, um, savers are, are folks who are – you know you're a saver if you've got a lot of money in savings or 
even if you don't have a lot of money in savings, you're also a saver. Like even if you have a little bit of debt on credit cards, you know exactly how you're paying that off and you know what your payments are each month and your money is very systemized and organized. Now, the, the downside to being a saver is that you let opportunities fly by you. So often you're working really, really hard as a saver because you're afraid. You're afraid to hire an assistant. You're afraid to uh, maybe hire a mentor. You may be afraid to hire new team members. You may be afraid to engage in opportunities like advertising or sponsorship for your business that may grow your business because you are worried. You have this sort of feeling that if you don't save it, it's going to go away. Or if you don't save it, someone will take it. Or if you don't save it, you're going to have to give it all away. Or that someone will take advantage of you. And the downside to that is that most savers are working three to four times as hard as they could be working if they just spent some of the money mm. that was in their bank accounts. And so there's this feeling of, of sort of underlying fear all the time as a saver. And there's one more belief that can sometimes happen with savers, and that is that sometimes, and, and this is, I found this to be true a lot with my clients, you were, as a saver, you were the favorite in the family or the most accomplished in the family. In some cases, you were the only sane member of your family, and you use money as a way to sort of keep and gain that approval from family and from friends. So even though, so it's, it's a sort of, even if your parents aren't alive anymore, even if you don't live around your family, there's this place of like, look, see who I am based on how much money I can save. And so you may want to also look at what your need for approval is, what your need for proving something to someone is, and is it necessary right now to get that approval, or can you actually spend that money and create some more space and time for yourself? Wow, good one. Okay, what's number three? Number three is uh, spenders. So you are a spender if you love to spend your money. Now, you are typically a spender if you feel a small amount of guilt every time you spend. Um, you're typically a spender if you spend a bunch of money and you've still got really high credit card bills that you can't pay off, or you often find yourself throwing money at a problem. So I just met with a with two clients who came to me, and they spent $10,000 on a marketing vendor, but then they didn't really do the research behind that vendor, and, and it ended up that they didn't really need that person, and they didn't get what they wanted, and they, they often find themselves – uh, spending money, throwing money at things without the research and also without the management. Like they didn't do proper management of that vendor. They didn't meet with that vendor every week to know exactly what he was doing. And so they felt very disappointed by it. But much of it was this spending mentality of I spend money because I have to feel better. Or, or, and it's often for these reasons of like almost holes within us that we're trying to fill. Like I spend money when I'm disappointed. I spend money when things don't go well in the business. I spend money when my family's upset with me or when I want approval or I want somebody to like me. So one of the things to think about if you are a spender and it is sort of a habit that is causing anxiety, especially around when the bills come each month, is to ask yourself why you're spending the money. Is it really because your business needs it? I know for me, and, and by the way, for those of you that are thinking, 
I'm more than one type. You can absolutely be combinations of types and be different kinds of types in different situations in your life. And also, some of you may have switched types over the years. And I know one of my spending tendencies happens when I get disappointed in my business and things don't go well. And so then I think to myself, oh, let me go buy a bunch of books and programs and, and try to fix it. But I, I almost go and I buy too much because – I, I'm not, and I'm unable to consume all of that. It's just a way to make me feel like, oh, this is the fastest way to solve the problem. And I always end up regretting it when I do that. Wow. What, what, when do you think it's appropriate to use debt in your business? Because some people think, well, I'm going to grow by cash flow alone, and I'm not going into debt and this, that, and the other thing. When do you think it's appropriate to use debt to, to grow your business faster? Yeah, I think that – So. First of all, I think it's important to understand the definition of debt as an entrepreneur. Uh, one of the things that, um, you know, our parents grew up and our parents and our parents' parents and parents' parents grew up in, a, in generations where, uh, especially if they were children or around the Depression, where if you had debt, if you lived outside of your means, you might get a raise of maybe 5 or 10% on a job, but you would never make so much money in your lifetime that you'd, you'd ever be able to pay the debt off. So then you would pass away with the debt in hand. And that was terrifying for generations of people is either dying with debt or leaving debt to children was something that you would never do. And that really created this huge shame and fear around debt generations ago. And that shame and fear has been passed on from generation to generation. Like, you should never live above your means. You should never have debt. You shouldn't use your credit cards. You should be using all your money to pay your credit cards off because there's a fear that you'll never be able to make enough to pay it off. Now, as an entrepreneur, uh, the mindset has to shift first and the understanding that if you are an entrepreneur, you have the capacity to make more, to have an increase of 25%, 50%, 100% in your revenue, depending on your growth of your business. So you aren't trapped into thinking that, you are, that you're never going to be able to pay off your debt. You would be able to pay off your debt as long as you have a growth plan for it. So to answer your specific question on when you should use it, um, I believe that there are certain things in, that you should use that when you want to grow into something in your business that you can't currently afford, but that you understand the path to get a return on your investment. So, for example, the first time I did a big three-day business event that I ran and led and, and, and spoke through the entire event, I, you know, just to sort of hire the event planner and, and, and get the hotel space organized, it was about $65,000. And that was, you know, split out into payments, but I still didn't have that money in my bank account at the time. I did use credit card debt or use credit card to pay for that so that so I can accumulated the debt as a result of that. However, after we, you know, and I did go in with the risk that I might not be able to pay it off, but I also went in with the with the knowledge that um, I had a really clear plan to pay it off. And so I did. Um, the event went well and I paid it off. But even if the event hadn't gone well, I also had a plan B on what I was going to launch in my business afterwards in order to pay it off should we not hit our numbers that we wanted to. So I believe that debt is something that is necessary if you 
want to grow into things that you aren't able to pay for right now, whether that's an event or maybe you want to do a new type of marketing or maybe you want to um, hire somebody. But the, the way to do it safely is to make sure you have a plan to create a return on that investment within the next 12 to 24, you know, sometimes 36 months after you've made that investment so that you don't end up, uh, really accumulating a huge amount of debt that you don't have a plan to pay off. What do you? Do you I was uh, doing a little bit of research. You call you have something called the slow down solution. What do you mean by that? So, I find that as an entrepreneur, we can kind of get harried and crazy. Do you not agree? <laughs> um, oh, definitely. It, you know when it comes to. Especially if we're in a fear mode and we wake up in the morning and we don't like what we see. Maybe there's, you know, a client who's backed out or maybe a big distributor, you know, doesn't want to make our products anymore. And we get, we get into this place of fear and worry and anxiety. And if you come from that place of fear and worry and anxiety and then you start to create your action plan from the day, it tends to be just this whole list of stuff to do. Like I've got a, you know, a million little tasks that, that, that you need to get done. And ultimately the, the sad thing, but true thing about being an entrepreneur is that, and I've learned this the first year I was doing it, is that we can work 12 hours a day and still not enough, have enough money in the bank. And so really it's not about doing stuff that generates money and time. It's about, strategizing on what you're doing to be able to hit your goals. And so the slowdown solution is it's based on, uh, on pausing uh, for a 10-minute pause and, and, and reflecting and, and on, on a deep thought or a question and then journaling a little bit to get yourself to a place of rest and then from there really deciding what is the – what are the three most important activities that I need to do today to generate money? And what are the things on my list that really other people should be doing or they're not that important? Uh, and so I actually, uh, I have found that entrepreneurs can work so much less that you can really have a normal day, you can have a half day and still make great money, still have lots of satisfaction in your business. If you're just willing to slow down, and prioritize the things that are most important to you to do that. And, and that's actually what I based my book off of, Jim. It's, it's called Pause, 52 Questions That Lead to More Time and Money. And what it is is about picking a question um, every week or doing it more often if you'd like, and then you read the question and then you journal about the question. And the questions are meant to sort of turn off the, the fear brain and the worry brain and turn on your more insightful creative brain to help you make a plan from a place of peace instead of a place of fear. So that's really interesting. Monica, the name of your company is Revenue Breakthrough. Can you share maybe a couple or at least one of your strategies that you use to help somebody have a revenue breakthrough? Yeah, my, uh, you know, following the lines of the slow down process and, and simple solutions, one of my main strategies for all entrepreneurs is, is tracking your revenue every day. And I work with this for beginning entrepreneurs all the way up to my clients who are multiple seven figure business owners. And that is understanding what your revenue goal is for a, every 60 days. So what you do is you take a piece of paper, the top of the piece of paper, you put your revenue goal, 
um, and it can be for a 60 or 90 or 120 day period, determining, depending on how long your sales cycle is. So for most of you, I would say 60 days. And you put um, an inspirational phrase, something that you want to be reading every morning at the top of that piece of paper. You put your 60-day goal at the top of that piece of paper. And then you number that paper 1 through 31. And that stands for the days of the month. Every time you bring in money, you put it next to the day of the month that you brought in the money for. So if you bring in $500, you put it down next to the number 5. If you bring in $700, you put it next to the number 10, and it's the 10th of the month. And you just add it up. So you tally, you, you know, so $500 plus $700 is $1,200, and you keep your money tallied. And this is for money that you have has actually come in. For some of you, this is going to look like individual payments that come in. For some of you that have bigger businesses, this is going to look like just looking at your credit card receipts, you know, at the end of the day that tells you all of the sales that were made for that particular day. Now, the beauty of this is that when you finish that first 30 days, you add, you take that, that total number from the first month and add it to every day on the second month. And what it does is it keeps you focused on the revenue. And it allows you to see in any given day how far away you are from your 60-day goal. And it, most of us were taught that you get paychecks twice a month. And it really is still a mentality or once a month that a lot of entrepreneurs have in their minds, whether they realize it or not. And when you're tracing revenue every day, what starts to shift is that you start to realize that every day could be a revenue-generating day. Every day there are opportunities to generate money in your business to get new clients or to get new consumers or to get new distributors for your products. So it will shift your actions and behaviors when you start to really track it, and especially if you treat it like a game, if it really becomes fun for you and you're like, by God, I am going to get this number. I am going to hit this 60-day goal. And this is exactly how I grew my business from six figures to seven figures, is it literally was in 60-day increments where I stretched myself every 60 days to generate more. Um, and I still use this as I'm growing um, bigger in my own company. And it's just most of the time when we're not looking at our revenue daily, we can get really distracted by life, by other things that are calling us in our business, and it just keeps you focused on creating that revenue breakthrough. Um, gosh, I'm almost out of time here. I'm really, really enjoying our conversation. Hopefully uh, I can have you back in a few months, Monica, and we can – Keep doing this again. Um, I want to ask you one more question. I think procrastination is a big challenge for a lot of people. They just keep turning things over in their head endlessly instead of pulling the trigger and seeing what yeah. happens. Um, how do you stop procrastination? It's a great, it's such a great question, and I we really could do a whole show on it. But there's a couple things I think to to understand. Um, if you are Truly, so there's a, there's a great rule about procrastination, which is that if you procrastinate without a deadline, you will procrastinate forever. Because the way the brain works is that um, your brain does not necessarily want to get into action until it's scared in a lot of ways, until the fear monster comes up. Otherwise, there's this sort of distraction, happy-go-lucky puppy that your brain wants to play with. And until the fear monster comes up, the puppy takes over. And so there's this place where 
I tell all of my business owners, if you're procrastinating on something, you have to give yourself a deadline, even if it's an artificial deadline. So one of my clients is writing a, a, a teenage novel, a, a novel for teenagers. And it's not actually her main business. It's her side business, but it's the passion that really she knows she was put on the planet for. So we created an artificial deadline for her to have a launch party for her book. Um, and it's just with her friends. And it's, but it's like April 13th of 2018. So it's like coming up and, um, and she, uh, and she has to write her book for that reason. And that was enough to get her, uh, get the fear monster involved in her um, really sitting down and getting it done. So if you're trying to make a decision on like a certain thing in your business, give yourself a deadline and create some ramifications around that deadline. Like on Friday, I will have to tell three different people about this decision. Because without a deadline, it's very easy to procrastinate on decisions and on projects. And then the other piece beyond the sort of deadline and the fear monster piece is to just ask yourself, what is the underlying fear that's causing the procrastination? For for myself, I remember going through this when I hired my first full-time employee, I really procrastinated around that. And it was because I was terrified of what it meant to hire full-time, terrified of all of the, the fees and whatnot. I just didn't know. And when I realized that, I found somebody that knew that could answer all my questions and sort of hold my hand through the process of hiring a full-time person, and that really helped me to step into it. So asking for help is a big piece once you figure out what that underlying fear is. Oh, that's awesome. Monica, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our uh, audience has also. How can people connect with you and, and learn more about you, and where can they get your book? Of course, yeah. So um, – the where people can connect with me is I actually have uh, a lot of people ask me, Monica, so what are the main things that I need to be doing to make money and, 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 and where can I get learn more about the revenue tracking that I mentioned? And so you can go to revenuebreakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar revenuebreakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar, and you can pick up a marketing calendar with all of our activities in it and also get the template for the revenue tracking sheet that I talked about there, uh, which uh, will help you to really focus on the things you need to be doing to make money. And then our, and you can always uh, reach out to us at support at revenuebreakthrough.com. And then Monica, thank you our so books, much. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Our books, <laughs> yeah. Um, our books are also there at, Re our, at our, the, the pause book that I talked about is at revenuebreakthrough.com as well. Very good. Monica, thanks so much. It was a, a really fun interview. I'm glad we connected. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed it. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Dream Business Radio. Thank you to the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. Again, you get all the details at dreambizcoaching.com, dreambizcoaching.com. Watch for another great episode of Dream Business Radio this time next week. Until then, you take good care.